everybody, this is Shaolin Turner. You're listening to John on Iron City Rocks. Hi, this is Michael Schenker. You're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hey, this is Ingve J. Malmsteen, and you are listening to Iron City Rocks. Episode 463 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing the best rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues talk on the net. Episode 463, we're joined by somebody who it did actually surprise me. We haven't spoke to in the past, Mr. Doogie White. Doogie um, had sang with Richie Blackmore in Rainbow, Michael Schenker. Uh, he's currently the vocalist of Alcatraz, uh, which we will talk about in, in some detail. He's got an album that came out about 10 years ago. It was his first solo release. Uh, it was called As Yet Untitled. And um, when I saw that, I was like, As Yet Untitled, it's been out for 10 years. How does it not have a name? But it's kind of a play on words and, and kind of a fun story, so we'll talk about that. Uh, the album is released with two additional tracks and also a second album of cover songs of some of the songs that have, have kind of touched him musically throughout his career. Uh, he's got an amazing career, still has an amazing voice. And if you're like one of those people like me who kind of get tired of listening to the same albums all the time, just Doogie White uh, as yet untitled album really will catch your attention. Also, we're going to be joined by an up-and-coming band out of the Atlanta area. We're going to be joined by Mr. Mac Mullins of the band CEO. So in a little bit, we'll talk all about that. So we're going to play you a track now from Doogie White's solo album. The song is called Come Taste the Band. Obviously, that's going to catch your attention. We're going to talk a little bit in the interview about where the song came from. So, come taste the band from Doogie White. Hey! 
gentlemen, my pleasure to welcome to Iron City Rocks. We have on the line Doogie White. How you doing, Doogie? Very, very good. And interestingly, um, I'm actually from a steel town. So you've got Iron City, and in Scotland, I'm from a steel town called Motherwell. Interesting. Yeah, I, I hope you, for your sake that the, or at least your town's sake, that the uh, steel industry is still prevalent there. It's not quite what it used to be in the history of Pittsburgh, but um, it's. I think it's in the DNA of the people who live here. You know, I, it's completely I, gone. Yeah, I, I think it, it's a tough business. Um, you it know. was cheaper. To, it was cheaper to import steel from Korea mm-hmm. and China and drag it halfway around the world than it was to build it in your backyard. You, you know, were... the, the the steel the steel that came from Motherwell, um, that, that was that was crafted in Motherwell was used to build uh, uh, the the Sydney Harbour Bridge. Okay. Uh, 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 it was it built the uh, the QE2 ship because we would open the school doors and the steelworks would open their doors and you would just come out of the school and go straight into the the steelworks and then the, it was all shipped down you know 20 miles to the coast just outside Glasgow right where where there was great shipbuilding but those, those days are long long gone. Yeah, I, I think if if you go back in Pittsburgh, I think if you go back any number of gener, you know, two three generations in almost anyone's family, somebody worked in the steel industry at some point. But it's really not um, what it used to be. I, you know, I even for a time had worked in the steel business, but it's not the the imports, uh, especially for the U.S. from China, it kind yep. of really put a damper on that. But I think it, it does. I don't know, you know, maybe it's just a kind of a romanticist of it, but I think a lot of people, you know, kind of identify with the heavier music. You know, you listen to Rob Halford talk about or, or um, Tony Iommi talk about their youth and, you know, in in steel towns, it kind of shapes you. Um, it really does. So you are re-releasing an album as yet untitled, which I have to say, kudos to the title. Uh, because it, 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 it <laughs> make you know, I, I kind of, uh, I fancied that I kind of looked at that like almost like a dog does when you're saying something to them. That, you know, think that they're listening to you like what I has yet untitled. You know, this album's been out for two weeks and it's got to have a title yet, but you know, it catches your attention. Um, so why 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 now to to repackage? You know, obviously you added a couple extra tracks. You've added two additional tracks plus another disc of of some just classic stuff. Why now? Well, because I was asked to do it. I I got the I got the rights back to the album um, about three or four years ago, and I was very busy working with Michael Schenker, mm-hmm. and and so there was no need for me to go out. I was doing an album every year or eighteen months with Michael. I had other things going on, so there was no need to compete with myself really. Yeah. Um, and the, the record company that's put the, the new release out or the re-release out um, contacted me and said, um, we'd like to re-release this. And I thought, well, OK. And, and I had two tracks that had been left over from the original recordings. But it turned out that the guy who runs the record label many years ago, myself and, and many great UK-based rock musicians, um, had done a bunch of tribute albums. You know, we had guys like Mickey Moody, who was in the original White Snake. Mm-hmm. We had Steve Overland from a band called FM. We had Bernie Tormey, who played with Gillen and, and replaced Randy Rhodes for a, for a very short time in Ozzy's band. Um, and we had some great players. And it, and it was just for fun, because... The, Back at that time, grunge was very popular, so the kind of music that we were playing, all of us, you know, were playing, was not very fashionable. And of course, the music magazines uh, uh, were were supporting the Nirvanas and the Soundgardens sure. and Temple of the Dogs and things. And and so there was no place for us. So it was just fun for us all to get together and relive some old music and try and put something different in it. Yeah, I mean, and I listen to the album, and what's cool is when you listen to it, it 
has you know a lot of obviously your influences and styles of music but it still sounds you know it's a 10 year old album but it doesn't sound 10 years old it sounds like you know if you had done this and this was brand new material i would not have been you know at all skipped a beat listening to this thinking this is a brand new album the production's fantastic and your vocals um world class i mean obviously the likes of the people you've worked with you know when you go down your resume you know speaks for itself you you don't get the gigs you get being a slouch but you know for you to put this out under your own name and really you know kind of without a net you you don't have a blackmore or a shanker behind you on this release but it doesn't need it and that's i think a beautiful thing were these songs you wrote yourself or did you you work with you know kind of collaborators the these these songs um i i wrote with various different people um the the first song in the album is called come taste the band um and now that was that was written by myself and my my old sparring partner and him and I have written for many many years his name is Alex Dixon and Alex was the guitar player in a band a Scottish band called Gun okay um and he also was the guitar player when Bruce was doing Bruce Dickinson was doing his uh, solo stuff when he was away from Maiden mm-hmm. he was a guitar player in that he also ended up playing with them um, a massive pop star over here uh, called Robbie Williams. Yeah, yeah, that's a huge so name. So he was Robbie's guitar player for years. Uh, and um, and what the reason that song came about, Come Taste the Band, was because Richie Blackmore had called me up and, and, and a friend of mine had answered the phone. We were all living in a house together. And he said, Richie Blackmore's on the phone. And I went, okay. Oh, sure. I was like, right, yeah, that's 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 going to be a true thing, and it was Richie, and we had a long conversation, and he said, look, can you send me something new? Um, because any anything I've heard from you is three years old. So, Alex and I sat down the very next day, and wrote "Come Taste the Band." Now, the reason, it, and we did it in the Mark IV Deep Purple style, with the Coverdale Hughes vocals. And Al playing the um, the slide like Tommy Bolin, and we decided to call it "Come Taste the Band" just to see if Richie had a sense of humour, and he did. You know, he he said I was very cheeky. He said he says you're a very cheeky young Scotsman, Douglas. <laughs> you know, so so that was it. But but to answer your question, it was a whole bunch of different people that I got together, um, and 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 we started. I, I had some songs and other songs. I I, I asked some friends to come in and help me write these songs and it was all put together um, in Stockholm by Pontus Norgren who's the lead guitarist in a, a metal band uh, called Hammerfall yeah I, I have to I have to give you a, a high degree of praise for this song Come Taste the Band when I received the album it was in a zip file and the <laughs> tracks were all out of order and I knew yep. you did an album of cover songs and you've got you know you've got a white snake song in there and i'm and i listened to come taste the band it was the first song i put on and i'm like i don't remember there being a song called come taste the band on the album come taste the band obviously from deep purple for those not following along i actually had to go and pull out my vinyl copy and think where the hell do you get this song that's how good it approached the mach 4 sound i mean i it would not have shocked me had that been, you know, on that album. Well, that was that was that was the intention. And when we did the original demo, it was just Al and I. We only, I mean, we're, that song was written in 1984 on a four-track with a drum machine in a bedroom, and and Al and I just working together. When it came to actually recording it, I couldn't do. I wanted my brother to do part of it because he's a. Him and I used to sing cover. Coverdale Hughes songs all the time together, yeah, and we would do, and we, him and I would sing together. We would do Michael McDonald and James Ingram, and we just would harmonise and do it. But um, he didn't want to do it, so I asked my friend Patty Russo yeah. to step up to the plate. Now Patty was staying at my house at, at that time, um, and 
And Patty sang with Meatloaf for maybe 15, 16 years. She was the um, Paradise by the Dashboard Light Girl. Yeah. And we had met, and, and she was there, and I said, listen, do you fancy singing this? And she just went in, and she's so loud. <laughs> yeah, she's, so, she's powerhouse. So loud. Oh, Jesus. I, I said, right, one take, that's enough. You know, the neighbours are going to be waking up, you know, three streets away. But, but and, and I asked Tony Carey, I, I met Tony Carey, and Tony was the keyboard player in uh, on Rainbow Rising. Mm-hmm. And, and I asked him to give me an intro for it, and would he play the song? And he gave. I wanted something that that would be like Tarot Woman from Rainbow Rising. Sure. And he did that, and I just wanted to get that sort of purple rainbow reference out of the way, and then I could just go mental. Yeah, and, it, and it's certainly, you know, it, it. I think what's neat though is that when you listen to the album as a whole, it's still very cohesive, you know. You're you're doing nods to different things, working with different yes. people. And I'll be honest with you, the only thing that really jumped out at me was Derek's uh, keyboard solo. You know yeah, that yeah. that one you you can't deny that was Derek Sherini. That wasn't well, you know. He's, in this, he's such a distinctive player. Yeah. With yeah. With, with that that synth sounds that, that he uses, and it's his fault the album actually came out, or I actually recorded it because we were working together with Ingvi at the time. Mm-hmm. And and I said, oh, I've got 150 songs. And he said, you keep saying that. Go and do a bloody album, boy. And so I ended up doing it. And and, and Derek and I have been friends for years. And uh, and I actually sang on one of his solo albums. He said, will you will you sing this song? And I said, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll co-write it with you. He hated it so much he made it into an instrumental. I think Zach Wilde <laughs> played it. <laughs> that's a testament yeah you know I listened to this and one of the things I think maybe because you know I, I've listened to, to many albums you've been involved with but really never you know in, in some cases you know you, you were with with an Ingve or, or, or Mr. Schenker and you know the, the guy's name is the marquee you know you tend to listen to an Ingve album in a certain period you know kind of state of mind you want to hear shred guitar or you're probably not going to put an Ingve album on. Um, but when I was listening to your album, the one thing that really struck me is, and you mentioned Coverdale Hughes, is how similar in some ways your voice is to Glenn Hughes, which that's saying something to me. Um, you know, when when I listen to you, when I listen to Glenn, Glenn might want to be one of the greatest rock singers ever. Your voice, you know, just right up there. Is there... It was singing something that just came naturally to you, or is that something you had to really kind of hone that craft? It just came naturally. I I, I wanted to be a drummer initially. I don't know why, but I wanted to be a drummer when I was sort of fourteen or something. Mm-hmm. And I, I and uh, but I had no rhythm at all. You know, I just could. I no coordination. You yeah. know, and 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 I thought, well, I, well, I quite fancy being a guitar player then. And of course, everybody else was playing guitar, yeah. and and they were all way ahead of anything that I could do, even when we were 14, 15 years old. Right. Um, but we used to go to a church, me and all my mates, we went to a church on a youth fellowship on a Saturday night, and we would sing along to whatever was going on, and they said, we've got a band, would you, would you like to be the singer? And I went, aye, okay. And it, and I can't. I won't tell you the name of the band because you'd have to bleep it out. Um, gotcha. You would. You would. You would. Um, or put Bird Song in. Um, I, but but it lasted about it lasted about two months, and it was the first time I experienced a guitar player telling me that his girlfriend was going to manage manage the band. Uh oh. It was Geoffrey, her name was Audrey, and he went, man, Audrey's going to manage the band, and I thought, I'm out. Yeah. But it just became a, th- it became a theme throughout my career, that guitar players like to get their girlfriends or their wives or their mother-in-laws or something to manage the band. It was just, and, and, and that was when I was 15 years old. That's mental. And, yeah, and it's funny how, you know, you say that, but that that is true throughout music. Um, <laughs> that kind of relationship usually when i'm talking to members of bands that are broken up uh, is you know comes to play you know the 
the wife or, or God forbid, the ex-wife is the manager. Um, you know, I could think of bands, you know, where the son-in-law then it gets in the band, but we don't need to get into that ball of wax. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it is a, it's a difficult thing, you know, when you're dealing with, you know. Well, it becomes, I mean, it, 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 if, if you're dealing with someone who's professional, who's not involved, then you have a professional relationship with them. I mean, yeah. I left, I I quit Rainbow because Richie had his mother-in-law managing the band, and 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 it clearly it was at his wish for her to do so. But the but the difficult thing was that she wouldn't speak to me, and and you were dealing with somebody who was a primary school teacher and who was treating you like a primary school child mm -hmm. rather than a professional person that when I joined up with Rainbow, um, we had we had very good management in place. and um, But of course that costs money and once you get it up and running and if you can keep it in the family, then you don't have to pay your 10, 15, 20% to somebody else when you think you can do it yourself. Yeah, and that that's a great point. I mean, you think about, you know, uh, you know, under the hood of music, when you get into publishing and masters and management and publicists, you know, it's a business and everybody gets a percentage. So yes. you, you hit the nail on the head. If you can keep that in your family, you know, that's like keeping money you would otherwise be paying someone else. So, I mean, it, but then you end up with the contention. I mean, like you said, when you were 15, you knew that having a girlfriend as a manager was was dangerous and it is oh, it's yeah. just it was like oh my god you know I, I i just i just thought it was i thought it was mental i mean some people it works for some people mm -hmm. and, and 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 i know that people look to sharon osborne as the benchmark for a wife who manages an artist and to some extent wendy as well but you have to be as bright ruthless and smart as them yeah. to be able to to pull it off yes. you know and, and 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 what i found what i found working with with people was that they weren't bright smart they were cruel rude and 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 um had no knowledge of what they were talking about you know yeah. and it just and it just it drove me mad so you just have it, it, it you either so, suck it up or you just go, I'm sorry, I can't. Really, honestly, I mean, my last conversation with Richie Blackmore was after we played to 25 or 30,000 people in Denmark. And I, and I still have it. In fact, I made photocopies of it and decorated my toilet wall <laughs> in my old flat with us. And it, and it was a badly typed letter saying that if I didn't accept another 20% discount on my fee, they would look for replacements. And I went to Richie and I... And I, I I've never told anybody this before, so I don't know why I'm telling you. But you sound like a nice bloke. <laughs> I, 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 I went to him and I, and I, I said, "Look, what is this?" And it was all corrected in Biro because the spelling was so bad. And I said, "You know what is this?" And he said, "It's not for you. It's for those assholes over there pointing at the other band members." But the bottom line was that if I didn't sign it that night, they were going to replace me. And and. That was it. I just didn't sign it. I went home and that was it. It was over and done. I had my three and a half years. There were three and a half great years working with Richie. I have no issues with him or anything that we did business-wise, music-wise or otherwise. Um, uh, and, and, and it, and, and it kind of launched me. You know, I was kind of struggling mm -hmm. until he, till, till he sort of picked picked me up and said right okay i'll dust you down let's go and do this yeah and i'll and so i will always be grateful to richie blackmore for the opportunity that he gave me it didn't end well um but i have i hold no grudges or anything you know i wish him all the best and i hope he wishes me all the best as well yeah, I mean, certainly time helps, and as with any relationship, personal or business, you know, it, if it was going to end well, it usually doesn't end, you know, but it's, you know, so something has to, you know, cause some of those things. It's, you you know, you obviously um, have found your way into several amazing gigs uh, throughout your career and worked with, you know, easily three, I would argue four with Joe Stump, um, of the greatest guitarists you know, to walk this planet. Can you just touch a little bit on how your involvement with Alcatraz came to be? 
Graham and I, Graham Bonnet and I have been friends for many, many years, and we've toured the world together. And and actually, Graham, Jolyn Turner, and I did some, did two, maybe three tours in Japan. Yeah. Um, and they were fantastic. And I've always loved Graham's voice. I mean, I I, I knew I knew of Graham before he was even in Rainbow, and um, because he just had this most astonishing voice. And we've been friends for a very long time. I mean, he stayed at my house, and um, and and I've always looked after him, and he's always looked after me. And he was up in Edinburgh with Alcatraz, and he phoned me up and he said, "Can we go for a coffee?" And I went, yeah, "Absolutely, we'll walk around Edinburgh. It's a beautiful city." And um, and we went, and he said, "I hate this." And I said, "What?" He says, "This music. I just I hate it." I didn't like it when I was doing Alcatraz, eh, when I was doing it with Ingvi or Vi. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not enjoying it. And I said, well, what do you want to do? And he said, I want to, do, I, I want to do music that I enjoy with the Graham Bonnet Band. And I said, well, look, man, you're a legend. Your voice is still sounding good. You look fantastic. Go and do the Graham Bonnet Band because his last two Graham Bonnet Band albums I I still play because I think they're great. You know, it's some of his best work, I think. Um, and 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 that's how it was left. And then I got a phone call. I got a phone call from from the Alcatraz guys going, Graham's left the band. We've got tour dates. Can you fill in? And I was like, well, we've got the pandemic now. So um, why don't we write a new album? I mean, if I'm going to sing with Alcatraz, and somebody was going to have to do it, mm-hmm. you know, because these we've got, there's two original members in there, and 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 like you see, Joe, who's an amazing player and a great writer as well, yeah. and a lovely guy. Don't know about the wee funny beard thing. I'll have a word with him about that. <laughs> but but so we we just sat down and we started writing, and it came very very easily to us, and and. And within about three months, we'd written, recorded, mixed and mastered a brand new Alcatraz album. And if it wasn't going to be me that was going to be doing it, it would be somebody else. But I will keep the legacy of Alcatraz, whether it's with Ingve or Steve Vai or Graham, I'll treat it with respect. But we're moving forward, taking the name forward and doing something slightly maybe in some places massively different and it's great fun yeah i mean it's it's you know if somebody's heart's not in it you know they want to go in a different musical direction you know it's always easy for people to think you know graham was kind of the face of the band and but you know like you said you've got two original members and and joe's been involved with for quite a long time as well you know, you, you're kind of ripping their livelihood away if you say, okay, Alcatraz has to end because he doesn't want to do it anymore. You know, his heart's not in it, whatever. So, I mean, you know, you take somebody with, you know, the respect for the material, the love of the band, you know, the history in some ways. I mean, you and uh, Graham have had a lot of parallels in your career. Um, you know, it's, I think, a, a natural fit. You've got a hell of a voice. Um you know, I, I say, why not? I mean, if you can, if you can do that, you know, and you've got the time and the desire to do it, you know, go forth, make great music, and keep that music alive. Well, I think, you know, I think Alcatraz, Alcatraz was never Iron Maiden. It was never ACDC. Sure. Um, and many years ago, uh, and and I. I Mick Tucker from Tank wrote a few songs on this solo album, uh, as yet untitled, that I did. And I ended up joining Tank. And there was such an outcry, you know, because the Metallica guys all wear uh, Tank t-shirts with the logo. Hmm. And I knew the logo, but I knew nothing about the band. And it's kind of the same with Alcatraz, really. You know, I'm going in there, I get given a piece of music, and... I just write what I would write. I'm not trying to copy anybody here. I'm not trying to um, replicate what Graham did. And I mean, he's a great writer. You know, his harmonies are always 
otherworldly for me. Right. And he always has an interesting take. His stories are always great. We're going out there now with this Alcatraz, and we're doing a heavy metal album. You know, we're going out there, and it's bombastic, and it's cruel, and it's fun, and it's exciting, and it's dangerous, you know, because there's no one on the planet can go in and do what Graham does. Graham is unique in the same sure. way that Ozzy Osbourne is unique. You know, there's or, or even, you know, Robert Plant. You know, these guys are absolutely unique. You, you know, you get people who go out and they sound, you know, they sound like Paul Rogers or they sound like David Coverdale or they sound, you know, they sound like Ronnie Dio. They're all, that's the, that's the benchmark for these guys, you know. But nobody can sound like uh, Graham Bonnet or Ozzy, or, or, or Freddie Mercury for that matter, you know, or Elton John, you know. Yeah. These guys are unique vocalists, unique vocalists. And so was Ronnie. Ronnie was, a, Ronnie was absolutely brilliant. But when I listen to a lot of the music now that's coming out, I hear the younger vocalists who have taken a great deal from Dio and a great deal from Coverdale and have mashed it together and made their own sound. It's a hell of a recipe. Yeah. Yes, it's, wish... a great recipe. it's a great recipe, but when everybody's doing it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right that, you know, you want, I think it's, you know, you want a voice that's unique, you know, when you hear. It doesn't have to be great. It just, it just has to be, you know, there, there are plenty of singers that if you listen to them, you know, I mean, Ozzy's not the greatest singer in the world, but as soon as it comes on, it affects you because mm -hmm. the the emotion and the passion that he puts into his singing. Yeah. You know, if you're just stamping it by numbers, you know, then the, the, then we've heard it all before. You're exactly right. Exactly right. So with with um, Alcatraz, and now that um, you know the world is slowly kind of coming out of the cocoon towards normalcy, God willing. Uh, are you guys looking at doing some dates, or is that still a little bit difficult? Well, well, the tour dates that they had planned for Graham before Graham quit the band, they they got moved. They've, they've been moved two times now. But now I'm going to be the singer, and we'll have another a new album out. Um, and they're moved to November okay. now. Um, but no, normality is not coming back anytime soon here in the United Kingdom uh, or in Europe. Um, I've just had, I've just had a, a, a six-week tour of Russia, strangely with Graham and and Uli John Roth and Marco Mendoza and Ross the Boss. We were going to go and do an orchestra tour out there. Uh, in September, October, and that's all been moved now because the virus is kicking off over there. Yeah. And I mean, it's not going to go away. It's we're going to have to learn to live with it. It's just how clever we are to be able to to learn to live with it. I think. Yeah. It's all it's always going to be kicking around. I mean, just just an ex as an example for this week, the the. the Scotland played England at football last week, or soccer as you would call it, and 20,000 Scotsmen went down to London. And the virus, they came back three days later, and the virus here in Scotland is soaring now. Flared up. You know, it's... It, 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 it's <clears throat> and for people to think that it's not real, it, 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 that's a danger as well. Yeah. Oh, so conspiracy theories out there. Oh my God, they're gonna. There was one guy. There was one guy I heard the other day claiming that he'd been turned magnetic after having had the first COVID injection. You know, and you're thinking, oh God. But we've got to find a way out of this, and and it and and it's for everybody to choose their own way, their own path. You either take the vaccine or you don't. You either mask up or you don't. You know, but you know. It's it's about personal freedom, but it's also about looking after your community and your loved ones. Yeah, you you, you nailed it with that comment. I mean, it, it is, and that's no different here in the United States, other than maybe the percentages of vaccination. But it is a it's a line that people need to decide, you know, between 
not going to have the government tell me what to do. It's my, you know, I make my own decisions versus what's best for those around you. And that's, it seems to be. Over here, for instance, over here, right? The, the, The landlords of pubs and clubs and bars have the right and have always had the right to refuse admission. Right? So if you turn up and you're a bit pissed or you're wearing the wrong shoes, they can say, I'm terribly sorry, I'm not letting you in. Now, what's going to happen over here? I don't know what it's like in America, but over here, they're going to say, if you want to come to the bar, you know, you have to socially distance or you can't get in. You have to have had your injections or you're not getting in. Now, that's their right to do that. Yeah. That's the, that, that's, this is your business. That's, that's their right to do that. Whether, you know, it's your right to just march into a bar and, and, and do whatever you want. I don't know how it's going to be. I'm not, I'm not confident that this year will be any better than last year, to be honest. Yeah, you look at like the Foo Fighters did um, shows, or they, they did a show at Madison Square Garden and they're doing another of the forum and there were protesters outside. Um, actually, the uh, I believe it was in L.A. they did a club gig and people were protesting because in order to attend, you needed to be vaccinated. So people were protesting that. I mean, so it's not normal. It's not, you know, go to your favorite website or go stand in line, buy a ticket, go in and see a show. You know, you've got people making everything political. Yeah. Yeah. And it it depends what side, it depends what kind of side you fall on, really, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, though, you know, almost without exception, musicians, you know, this is really handicapping their life, their ability to, to really make a living. Um, so there's not a lot of, um, I don't see a lot of that coming from musicians that say, you know, it's your choice, you do what you want. Um, you know, I think, you know, you guys need people to, you know, look out for their neighbors in order to be able to do your job in, in a lot of ways, you know, to get out on the road because the money isn't in the recording industry. I mean, no, that that's that's gone. That's all being made by guys in Silicon Valley and their corduroys with their man buttons. Yeah. You know, you know, setting up some some logarithms of what it's not called log logarithms. What are they called? Algorithms. Algorithms. Thank yes. you very much. Logarithms was something I did at school. Never used it since. It was a nightmare. Yeah. yeah some computers trying to determine which one of your songs I should listen to first. Yeah. Um, exactly. Yeah. Well, Doogie, I want to thank you. I don't want to keep you any longer. I, I was uh, I've taken up a lot of your time, and I deeply appreciate it. The new uh, the the re-release of As Yet Untitled is available now. Uh, it's got 12 songs as opposed to the original 10, plus a second disc of fantastic covers, some Maiden, some White Snake, um, you name it, and everything in between. Uh, it's fan- quite it's quite fun. It's quite funny actually <coughs> because I'm I'm sitting here looking at them. And and we did these over a very we did them over a long period of time, but mm. you know you got three songs come in and do three White Snake songs come in and do this, and I've got no memory of doing Twisting <laughs> Away or Not Fade Away by the Rolling Stones or Emerald Thin Lizzy or Let's Spend the Night Together, no memory of that at all, you know, but but I called the album as yet untitled because there used to be a, a, and there still is over here it was a great heavy rock. A magazine called Kerrang. Yeah, yeah. Right, and Kerrang, and Kerrang, and the journalists would write, um, Aerosmith are in the studio in Montreal just now recording a new album as yet untitled. And I thought, yeah. do you know what? If I ever get the chance to do a solo album, I'm going to call it as yet untitled, because I'm not a lord, I'm not a duke, I'm not a prince, but sometimes I can be a bit of a count. That was it's an excellent play on words and it you know it's it's an attention grabber I will say that that's uh, brilliant to you well thank you so much I wish you all the best hopefully we'll see you for long um, either solar um, solo or with uh, Alcatraz coming through the states um, folks can pick up the album now it's been an absolute pleasure man thank you stay safe stay safe and lots of love all right bud thank you so Pardon. much Doogie I really appreciate I'll it I'll splice her there. I appreciate your time, and again, apologize for my tardiness. It's, uh, listen, tardiness is, is, is what we expect these days.
you know, uh, uh, and, it, and it's absolutely no problem. Listen, send me a copy of it over or a link to it or something, okay? Yeah, I will do that. Okay, all right. All the Thanks, best for you. Stay man. safe. See you soon. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye. Black Label Society, live in concert. Friday, September 10th, Stage AE. Special guest, Trivium. Tickets on sale now at AXS.com. Brought to you by Promo West North Shore. Stay current at BlackLabelSociety.com. All right, a big thank you to Doogie White again. The album, as yet untitled, really an awesome listen. Hope you enjoyed "Come Taste the Band," and if you like that um, or a lot of his work with Ingve and Rainbow and Schenker, definitely get out and check out that album. We're going to turn our attention now to another band, um, uh, one of a zillion bands out of Georgia. This band is out of Athens, and if you think of Georgia, you think. A couple different kinds of music kind of come to mind. You think instantly of probably bands like R.E.M. and the Black Crows. And um, personally, I love Blackberry Smoke. Uh, but Seven Dust, also a band out of that area. And uh, the band uh, obviously has been playing in that area a long time. A couple guys uh, formed a band, and they were able to get Vince uh, Hornsby from Seven Dust to, to join up with them and make an amazing album. The album is called Redemption. The band is called CEO. Uh, we are going to be speaking here momentarily to Mac Mullins, who is a singer. Uh, one of the things that's kind of cool with this band is is really just the age variation in the band. Um, you know, a lot of times, I think most bands, you know, people are of a similar age, similar musical backgrounds. This band really has a dichotomy uh, spanning kind of two different generations uh, of the music they're in, uh, which makes it cool. Yeah, I think of... Edward Van Halen and uh, Wolfgang Van Halen obviously were in a band together and it worked out well. This isn't a father-son kind of thing, but uh, you, you'll see, um, you know, kind of we talk about this in the interview, the, the wide range of influences between Mac, for example, and some of the other guys in the band who are, are a decent amount younger. So it's kind of cool. And also having uh, somebody with a pedigree of Seven Dust uh, with Vince on bass uh, gives us a lot of credence and... Uh, this band's album is now available on Rat Pack Records. I will have a link on our website, ironcityrocks.com. Uh, Rat Pack, uh, almost probably, I think they've been around longer than we have, uh, the Iron City Rocks has, but have been putting out amazing product. They, they get great bands, uh, and what they do is really put in some fun packaging uh, with the albums. I just saw, since doing this interview, George Lynch will be doing another uh, solo album, and it's available on cassettes and, and just all kind of fun picks and things like that. So definitely check out the link if you enjoy the music. So without further ado, we're going to play the title track, which is called Redemption, from the album Redemption. We're going to speak to Mac Mullins of CEO.
my pleasure to welcome to Iron City Rocks. We have on the line Mac Mullins of CEO of the band. How you doing, man? I am doing fantastic, and I appreciate you guys having me. Yeah, it's uh, got a chance to listen to the new album, Redemption. Um, a ferocious kind of hard rock. It's hard to put labels on music anymore, um, you know, because everybody's kind of doing a million different things. But I have to admit, I saw you guys were on Rat Pack Records. Um, I've always loved working with those guys. They have the most creative kind of marketing approach to stuff. So I figured it had to be good stuff. You know, they just brought in Anthony Gomes, another great musician as well. So kind of the stamp of approval to be on Rat Pack. So wanted to get a chance to talk to you. Um, you have Vince Hornsby, who I'm sure some folks will know from Seven Dust. Um, you come from Atlanta. I believe the whole band is from Atlanta, but you correct me if I'm wrong. Um, can you talk a little bit about how the band formed and how you all got together and how you pried Vince's time away? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I tell you, you know, obviously being here in Atlanta, it's it's a really cool, tight-knit fraternity of uh, musicians around here, and, and everybody pretty much supports everybody and, and kind of looks out for the, for each other. And, you know, for us, you know, you know, we, we've known Vince for a long time. And when we put this particular band together, we invited him out to showcase uh, what was our, um, for lack of a better word, independent demo that we put a couple of years ago. And we did like a showcase here in mm-hmm. Atlanta, did a show, invited Vince out, and he loved it. And he says, you know, I, I really think you got something. I think you need to go down uh, to Florida and work with our producer, uh, you know, Michael uh, Elvis Basquet. So we had Camp Basquet and, and uh, you know, cut a few songs and, and see how well you do with that. So we went down to Florida and we were, the whole idea was we were just going to cut four songs and just kind of see how well that whole went. Well, before we were even done with the four songs, you know, Elvis was calling up and he goes, okay, not only are your boys, you know, doing a really good job and kicking ass down here, but... Uh, you're going to be the bass player. We're going to write a whole record and you're going to be in the band and that's going to pretty much, that's going to be that. And he did. So he came down, recorded the rest of the record with him and, and you know, it's it's been nothing but, uh, you know, laughs and, and, and cutting up uh, the entire time. So um, that's that's really the long and short. Fantastic. Did you know Vinny? I mean, obviously you're in the same city, but I mean, had you been, I mean, he's obviously had kind of a, a full-time gig. Was he somebody who you'd known prior to Seven Dust, met during Seven Dust? I mean, it's always interesting to see how kind of a band of a national scope is received in their hometown. I think sometimes, you know, there might be rock stars that are to the country, but they may just be the guys you've known since he was 17 and, you know, he's in your social studies class or... Was he somebody you were acquaintances with? <laughs> no, not me personally, but uh, he definitely knew uh, my guitar players, uh, Bo Anderson and Chase Brown. Now, okay. those guys are a lot younger. So, you know, Vinny is actually good friends with um, Bo Anderson's dad. Okay. So we kind of knew him via that way. And, of course, he, you know, he, most of the time he's gone and he's doing his thing, but, you know, when he's home... Every once in a while, he'll go out and check out a show, and you know we all kind of nod at him. We know who he is. He'll come backstage, and we'll yuck it up. And he's just one of the boys, you know. Mm-hmm. He's just kind of one of the guys. Where he doesn't want to be treated like a rock star. We don't treat him like a rock star, but we all know. So it's yeah, it's you know he's 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 just Vinny. One of the things that you kind of touched on there that that caught me of interest when you look at the band photo, and this is not a knock on anybody, but you can tell there's a bit of, of a a. Uh, age difference between some of the members and, and it kind of harkens me back to somebody else that uh, um, Michael worked with Wolfgang uh, who was obviously in his dad's band um, you know I think that is kind of adds a cool thing could you talk about how that you know the span of influences and things with the kind of multi-generational musicians yeah and I think that's kind of what makes that you know the, the ingredients or the gumbo that is the CEO uh work you know because you've got two guys in the band that are in their you know what i like to call very young 50s <laughs> <laughs> a drummer that's in their 30s and you know two guitar players that are in their 20s so you can imagine the sphere of you know influence you know you know vinnie and i you know we're, you know, we're van halen we're led zeppelin you know, we come from that kind of background and uh, you know the drummer is you know very much into you know all these you know, big big fan of morgan rose obviously you know big fans of 
periphery and, you know, a lot of these more modern, current, you know, heavy metal drummers. And, of course, the guitar players themselves are very much into, uh, very much dialed in with, you know, all, you know, all the current tunings and what's yeah. going on in, in hard rock, heavy metal these days. So you bring those five guys together, all of which write songs, and you can imagine not only do we have this huge catalog of songs available, but um, you know it's it's much like the album. You know, there's you know it's there's some similarities, but a lot of the songs can you know, are, are different. You know, it's not yeah. no songs, in my opinion, that sound the same. So it's it's, it's cool. I think that the the fact that you can kind of feel some of the the differences and influences pulling into the music, it's almost kind of like. How, how you know whiskey might age in a barrel you know it pulls from the influences around it and you guys have such a breadth of generations that it, i think it really adds something very unique to it um from a sing- singer perspective i mean you guys you know you mentioned the tunings um you know there's a lot of i would guess drop d just guessing listening to it um does that make it a little easier yeah. for you as a singer to kind of sing in that register, or is is that just something you had to work with? I mean, you kind of grew up on no one ever detuned, you know, except maybe half step. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right, and that's you know I, I appreciate you picking up on that because that is a challenge, especially for somebody you know who did grow up on you know the Robert Plants and the Axl yeah. Roses and you know those kind of guys, but this you know really high upper range register. Mm-hmm. Everything you're doing in the club days and what you're writing back in the day is wrapped around these, you know, these soaring vocals. And then, you know, that's, uh, you know, that's no longer, I guess, necessarily in vogue, if you would. And we're doing more drop D, drop C, mm-hmm. you know, type tuning. So it's, you can't go in there and try to sound like Robert Plant. You've got to kind of adjust. And, you know, luckily for me, it's, uh, you know, it, it, it kind of just fit. You know, it kind of worked well. And, you know, I was able to you know, kind of grab that part of my register and just really just work with it. But uh, you're absolutely right. And, uh, you know, greatest to observation. Yeah, I, I listen to that, and I think, you know, we grew up, you know, you mentioned early 50s. I like that term. It feels better than just 50s. Um, you know, we grew exactly. up on an era w- with the heroes being the Ronnie James Dio, the Rob Halfords, you know, the guys who right. we'd all try to, kill ourselves screaming along on the cassette deck in the car you know failing miserably many of us but you know somewhere in that you know 2000s we kind of went to the other end of the spectrum and i could see that being probably equally challenging as a vocalist that you don't blow yourself out trying to get you know the growl the aggression into some of the vocals but you you seem to handle that almost effortlessly in the album so that's that's really well yeah it's it just just like you work on the you know you know to your point the Rob Halford type uh, you know, screams and register mm-hmm. and you spent a lot of years doing that and then luckily for me as you got older you know I, I lost some of that but picked up some more of that bottom end the ability to you know kind of give some of that the lower end register growl and without you know ripping your throat out every yeah. night so and and another great thing is you're singing your own stuff. You know, mm-hmm. you're singing your own songs, and you can kind of push it as as, as hard or as, as you want to, versus trying to emulate uh, emulate somebody else. So it, it just it it felt good at the time, and it kind of uh, seemed to work for us. So yeah, the the pandemic obviously kind of came along and screwed up a lot of bands of many different levels, plans. Um, you guys were kind of kind of getting ready to blast off you know from from what i had read um how did you guys handle having 16 18 months sort of you know screwed up like that can can you talk a little bit about what you guys did to kind of fill the time yeah yeah you know obviously you know this being a brand new band like that you know it's not like we relied on this for our livelihood so Mm -hmm. it didn't impact us would even somebody like a seven dust or or the folks that uh, are living i mean that you know that was almost tragic to some of these guys so you know we just kind of you know politely just stuck it up on the shelf and went back to work writing songs and mm-hmm. that's really kind of how we spent the time you know obviously gives us a chance to you know work on the artwork and you know kind of plan out how we we're going to do it when it was ready but you know you, you've got this record that you're proud of it's sitting on the shelf and you understand it as a new act you wait your turn you know you you, you settle down a little bit and let those 
those big boys get back out there on the road, get their albums out, and then when it's your turn, you know, we'll uh, we'll release yours and, and see who salutes. So it obviously it wasn't nearly as rough on us as it was mm-hmm. a lot of the bigger acts, but it just gives an opportunity to kind of fine tune some things and keep writing. Yeah, I had just seen last 24 hours or so Seven Dust announce um, a string of dates. Do you guys? Um, is this something that you plan to tour on, or how do you kind of work that out? I know, obviously, from your bio, you've got um, other avenues you work in outside of this. Um, you know, how do you go about trying to put together live shows, and do you do you tour this kind of a regional thing? Yeah, for us, you know, obviously being new, it's it's going to be important for us to you know get on with an established act, and you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of demand, uh, you know, and fortunately right now we've got some supply available. So, mm-hmm. you know, those guys are going to go out and, and do their thing, and then we're just going to kind of sit on the sidelines until probably the fall or the winter when the, the runway clears a little bit. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're looking to do some festivals, some weekend things, and if, uh, you know, a, a tour pops up that makes sense for all of us, then, you know, we certainly want to, uh, you know, jump on that and do that. So right now it's, it's uh, and a lot of these booking agents will tell us, it's like, guys, there's so much demand right now. And mm-hmm. these guys feed their families off this stuff. They're going first. And when they get yeah. off the road, then guys, you will get your opportunity to go to. We understand yeah. that. It's, you know, it's fine. Yeah, I know. It's, it seemed like three, four weeks ago, it just seemed like all hell broke loose with tour announcements. Everybody who's ever packed a road case, announced a 2021, 2022 tour, um, which is a fan. It's like, wow, you know, this felt like what February used to feel like, at least in the Northeast. You know, you kind of expected to get through Christmas, you get through the Super Bowl, and then you start to see the summer tours. You know, we're not a, in Pittsburgh, you're not a destination people want to come in December and January and February. But now it just seems like, you know, the Wild West every day, you're like, wow, here's, you know, so-and-so's touring with so-and-so and, and, you know, some great stuff. But I look at, you know, a band like yours and think, boy, this is this is music that I think, you know, it's almost a shame something like the Mayhem Festival wasn't, you know, in the 2022 summer for music like yours because I think it would fit in so well and it would be a great opportunity to get you guys in front of an audience that's almost tailor-made for what you guys do. Um but it's a, it's a financial risk, you know, to get involved with something like that, obviously. And but it will be cool. Sure, to you see. can imagine all the new acts. Yeah, yeah, all the acts that are coming out right now, and new guys just like us. And we're all kind of clamoring for a little bit of attention or a top, you know, for you know, a spotlight, if you would. And say, like, mm-hmm. hey, you know, look at us over here. But you know, it's you know, it, it's kind of all backlogged right now. So yeah, you know, we'll we'll be patient, wait our turn, and hopefully the music uh, speaks to someone's or. You know, there's certain certain you know groups or whatever, and you know that's the type of thing that they would like to have us involved in their festival and stuff. So, you know, yeah, that's kind of where we're coming from. It certainly makes a lot of sense, and I think you guys have certainly got the strength of the material. Um, you know, and you know, having somebody in Seven Dust obviously helps. You know, I think that catches anybody's attention. You know, you've got great songs, though. That's that's the key. You know, you, you see bands that might include, you know, a side project for somebody in, um, you know, in a band, and, and that might draw your attention. But as soon as you hit play, if it's crap, it's crap. You know, and, and I think, you know, you guys have done a, a brilliant job of, you, you know, the behind these eyes lyric video, for example, captures your attention. It's a super song, strong, song, strong song, sorry. And, uh, you know, you go through the album, and, and the nice thing is it's got some ebb and flow to it. You know, there's some lighter tracks, heavier tracks. You know, it's not just uh, cookie-cutter material. So the songwriting is there. So it's got all the ingredients. Um, so it's it's going to be fantastic. The album, I know Rat Pack always has awesome bundles. You know, I see they've got you on vinyl and colored vinyl and things like that. That's, that's kind of one of the great things about them. As a fan, you know they're going to great cool variations um is the album available the album is not quite available yet do you have a street date on that yeah sure do it's june 25th so not this friday but the following friday okay uh, we will be live so we're in the middle of our pre-orders right now and uh, to your point 
Yeah. Now, are you doing any like local kickoff show in the Atlanta area for this? Yeah, you know, Vince is on the road right now. He's June, July, August, okay. I want to say, and then maybe into September. So for us, it's just, uh, you know, hey, go make your money, brother, and then when you come yeah. back, let's go have some fun. So yeah. you know, we really kind of just kind of uh, just scheduling around all of that. So, okay. You know, we're just being patient. Absolutely. Well, Mac, I want to thank you so much for your time. Uh, again, Redemption, you can get it at Rat Pack. That's R-A-T-P-A-K records.com. That's probably... As a fan, one of the coolest places to buy records because you've got all kind of different signed versions and pressings and vinyl and colored vinyl. You name it, those guys always do it right there. So check that out. And I want to thank you so much. Again, the band, the CEO band.com, your URL. And hopefully we'll see you guys on the road here in the Northeast, you know, maybe early next year. It would be great to see you guys. Well, the pleasure was mine speaking to you, and you know we certainly appreciate your support. So thank you very much for that. The tour you've been waiting for is finally here. Evanescence. Hailstorm. A powerful rock experience returns. December 14th, Peterson Events Center. Tickets on sale now at Ticketmaster.com. Mastering the brand new Evanescence album, The Bitter Truth. Available everywhere. Evanescence. Killstorm. Together. Live. All right, thank you once again. Mac Mullins, CEO, theband.com. Doogie White. Um, his album is available for you to pick up shortly. An amazing, amazing piece of music from him. An amazing CEO, the band, high energy rock and roll. So hope you enjoy that. Also, be remiss not to mention you heard a couple uh, ads in there for Black Label Society and Evanescence. The Hailstorm, so thankful to see live music returning uh, to Pittsburgh. Hope you're all able, no matter where you're listening to this, to get out and enjoy this. I know a lot of people outside of the U.S. are probably rather envious of, of the fact that live music is returning so prevalently in the United States. still encourage everyone to stay safe, and we wish all the best for those outside the border. Um that they can get back to their normalcy when it comes to seeing shows as well. Uh, you can visit us at ironcityrocks.com. We're on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, TikTok, Snapchat. Um, believe it or not, we still have a MySpace page, which is actually almost brand new. Believe it or not, the website is still there, so we had to squat on the name. Um, check all those out. Uh, if you go to ironcityrocks.com, we have links to CEO of the band, Doogie White, all the stuff that was in this episode, so you can check that out uh, and purchase those if you enjoyed it. Uh, also, you can use the contact link or you can drop us an email at ironcityrocks at gmail.com. Let us know what kind of music you're into. What do you enjoy about the show? What do you not enjoy about the show? Uh, artists you might like to hear from that you haven't heard from, let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you guys. Uh, we appreciate any of uh, those who took the time for the nomination for the Pittsburgh City Paper nominations for best podcast uh we're waiting the awards there just like to use that as an opportunity to kind of get the word out about the show and also get uh, the word out to the region that music matters in pittsburgh it's very easy to find podcasts on sports and food and, and kind of the normal sort of true crime podcast but we'd like to think that there are only a handful of other podcasts in uh, in the pittsburgh area that really focus on music um, so we want to uh, thank you if you took the time and, and supported us and uh, we look forward to seeing the results of that. So until next time, we want to thank you so much for listening.